For those of you who are not regulars here and you came because I invited you, thank you very much. For those of you who are regulars here and you knew that I was going to be speaking and you came anyway, thank you very much. <clears throat> I've got two readings this morning. I will be reading from my Bible, which is NIV. The reason I choose to read out of this Bible as opposed to the church Bibles is this is a very special Bible. It was given to me by the founding pastor here, Steve Seitz. <clears throat> my first reading is from 1 Samuel 3, and it is verse 10. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The second reading is Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Did you see what they put in the bulletin this week? But I was wrong, my journey. That doesn't give you a whole lot of faith in me now, does it? But hang in there, let's see how it goes. My belief is that your loving God, that your walk of faith, that your maturing in your Christianity is tied into your relationship with your church and or your pastor or pastors, as has been the case with me. In the next few minutes, you'll see what I'm talking about. Have you ever had a time in your life, a day, an instance, when you felt really strongly about something? You thought, man, I'm right. I know I'm right. I just gotta be right. Only to find out, but I was wrong. Have you ever had that happen? Well, let me tell you about the last 20 years of my life. It was January 4th, 1999. I was starting a new job. I was going to be a commissioned car salesman. I was going to sell a lot of cars and make a lot of money. My attitude was right, and I had the right motivation. My motivation was I had a mortgage, a wife, and a son. Now, you've got to admit, that's pretty good motivation for getting out there to sell cars and make money. Now, when I started the job, there was only two things working against me. Number one, it was a miserable week weather-wise. It was cold and windy, rainy, freezing rain. It was overcast just not conducive for people wanting to get out and buy cars. The second thing working against me is I was an unknown commodity. I'd recently moved to Dubois County and when I moved here, I only knew two people and I was pretty sure those two people were not going to be able to buy enough cars to keep me and my mortgage and my family in business. But I went to work. Well, Monday, I didn't sell a car. And the same thing on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. By the time I go home on Friday, I hadn't sold a car all week and I'm starting to feel down. I'm starting to question my decision to come to this place. <clears throat> I get about halfway home and I'm thinking, wait a minute. Tomorrow is Saturday. Saturday's a good day to sell a car. I'll sell a car on Saturday. Well, I didn't sell a car on Saturday and I'm feeling down again on my way home. As I'm driving home, I'm thinking to myself, what I need is for somebody to feel sorry for me. That's what I need. Well, there wasn't anybody to feel sorry for me, so I continued on home. I pulled into my driveway and I walked up to the front door. 
When I got there, my wife greeted me at the door, and I'm thinking, oh, I bet she's got bad news. Just the way my luck's been going this week, I bet she's got bad news. I got up there, and she says, come on in. I've got something to tell you. I'm going, oh, wonder what it is. We got inside, and she says, I am pregnant. I go, oh, no, you can't be pregnant. We can't afford the one child we got. We certainly can't afford another one. We're going to have to send this one back, wherever back is. I just want you to understand, I was throwing a tantrum. Abortion was never on the table. But I was convinced that we were not going to be able to keep this child. But I was wrong. We did keep the child. <laughs> on August 25th, 1999, Sophie Elizabeth Ball made her first appearance. And anyone that knows me or anything about me knows that she is the apple of my eye. Now my son was God saying, George, I'm gonna give you a second chance in life. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. And now Sophie, she's the apple. You can tell I obviously adore my children. <clears throat> well, I did sell some cars and I did make some money, although not as many and not as much as what I thought I would. But now I'm going back to work with a new motivation. So later on in 1999, I'm out on the lot and I'm trying to sell a car and I come across a man by the name of Steve Seitz. I'm trying to sell a car and Steve, he's got a whole different agenda. You see, part of my job is to interview my customers so that I know what to do, where to take them, and what to show them. In the process of me interviewing Steve, now listen carefully to what I just said. In the process of me interviewing Steve, Steve found out that I had recently moved to Du Bois County, that I had been to two different churches, did not feel connected with either one, and wasn't going anywhere church-wise at the time. So Steve invites me to come to his church. <clears throat> Well, I'm a salesman. The only answer I knew to give him was, sure, Steve, I would love to come to your church, knowing full well, deep inside, that I'd go once, maybe twice, but certainly no more than three times, and then I would have to say, Steve, thank you for inviting me to your church, but I won't be coming back. It's just not for me. But I was wrong. First time we came to church here, we tried to sneak in the back way to the sanctuary. We came to the traditional service. We had just about gotten to the door. Steve sees us, calls me by name, my wife by name, and both kids by name. And he hadn't even met them yet. I didn't think people like that existed anymore. Well, we went over and gave him the time of day, and then we dismissed ourselves and entered into the sanctuary. When we did, we entered in on the far left side came about a third of the way up, and we got settled in our pew. Once we got settled, I turned around and introduced myself to the couple behind me, and we exchanged pleasantries. Then when I turned back around, I thought to myself, now that seems like a pretty friendly couple. That was my introduction to Carl and Julie Burns. You see how intuitive I am? Now, for those of you who don't know, Carl and Julie are two of the dearest members of this church, and I love them both. Well, we stayed for the entire worship service, which is a wonderful thing to do. And when it was over, I noticed that I felt a little bit better on the way out than I did on the way in. We went home and talked about that a little bit. We were not regular churchgoers, but we thought, when we do go, this would be a place for us to go. So we were hit and miss there for a while. And then one Sunday, it happened to be a hit. 
Now, it had to be a hit, otherwise this sermon is over and I'm not quite ready to give up the pulpit just yet. So it happened to be a hit and I heard a sermon that changed my life. <clears throat> he was talking about maturing in your Christianity and holding yourself accountable. Well, I sat up and listened. Now, he wasn't talking to me, but I can do that. I got inspired. After church, I went home and devised a plan. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but all plans start on January 1st. So January, at least in my life, they do. So January 1st, the following year, my plan went into effect. During that calendar year, I was going to put X amount of dollars in the collection basket, and I was going to show up for worship 26 times, exactly half. At the end of that year, to the dollar and to the service, I made it exactly. The following year, I upped the ante a little bit. I was going to put a few more dollars in the collection basket and show up for worship 30 times. At the end of that year, to the dollar and to the service, I made it exactly. And I kept up in the ante a little bit. A little more in the collection basket, show up for worship 35 times, then 40, then 45, and then 48. When I had made it to worship 48 times during a calendar year, I announced to myself that I had arrived. I was a mature Christian, but I was wrong. Fortunately for me, no one was listening when I made the proclamation. I had shown up for worship 48 times, which is a good thing in itself, but the two just do not equate. Only I didn't know it, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. Well, the following Wednesday, I came into church here during the day to either pick something up or drop something off. And Steve saw me in the hall and said, hey, come on into my office for a minute. I want to talk to you. And I'm thinking, yeah, Steve knows. Steve knows I showed up for worship 48 times last year. He's going to congratulate me. He's going to shake my hand. He's going to pat me on the back. But I was wrong. Got into his office and Steve says, excuse me says, I'm doing a Bible study this evening. We're going to be discussing one of Paul's letters, and I sure would love to see you in that class. I thought, say what? Have you ever seen a self-proclaimed tough guy squirm? Well, I was both. I was a self-proclaimed tough guy, and I was squirming. At least I was on the inside. What does he mean asking me to come to Bible study? Doesn't he know I showed up for worship 48 times last year? Now he wants me to come to Bible study too? Well, I gave him the only answer I knew to give him. See if you've heard this one before. I said, Steve, I would love to come to your Bible study, knowing full well, deep inside, that I'd show up once, maybe twice, but certainly no more than three times. And I would have to say, Steve, thank you for inviting me to your Bible study, but I won't be coming back. It's just not for me. But I was wrong. Got to Bible study that evening. I poked my head in the door. Steve's already sitting down at the table. He sees me, he says, hey, come on in. I want you to sit down right here. I've got a job for you. I'm thinking, come on, Steve, you can't have a job for me. This is my first Bible study. That's what I thought. What I did do was go in there and sit down. Once I did, Steve says, we start the Bible study at 6.30. We end it at 7.30. What I'd like for you to do is to watch that clock right over there. Let me know when it's 7.25 so I can start to wrap things up. I thought, I can do that job. Steve knows that I can tell time. So, so we did the Bible study at 725. I let Steve know what time it was. At 730, he dismissed us. 
And on the way out, I noticed I felt a little bit better than I did on the way in. And a habit had started. <clears throat> well, Steve eventually left here, and when he did, I thanked him for his service to the community, to the church, and more specifically to me. And then Scott came and went, and Bob came and went, and Larry came and went, and although not as overtly as with Steve, with their help and guidance, I was able to take the next step. And then Dan came along and Dan pushed me. But Dan pushed me at a time I needed to be pushed. And it made me think about two things. Number one is, as I've taken each step, it's not how far I've come, but how far I have to go. I'd never actually get there. All I could do was take the next step. The second thing it made me think of is I didn't have the attitude of Samuel and I didn't have the attitude of the apostles. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. <clears throat> no, I tried to create a diversion, set up a smoke screen, try to take, make the Lord think that he got the wrong guy. When we both knew that he didn't. Sometime before Paul Alvey left here, I was in his office and we were talking about something. And I really can't remember what it was. And then just totally out of context, Paul says, is it about the journey or the destination? I looked right back at him. I didn't hesitate. I said, it's about the destination. Now, this is the part you're not going to believe. Paul didn't say a word. <laughs> he just looked back at me with a look as if to say, are you sure? Well, I thought about that my whole way home. And I thought about two times in my life when it was at least partially about the journey. In 2016, we took a family vacation. The destination was Raleigh, North Carolina. Along the way is a town called Mayberry, North Carolina, Mount Airy. Been by there a hundred times, never stopped, always wanted to. Well, this time we decided to make it about the journey. We were gonna stop in Mayberry and see how those people live. Well, because we made it about the journey, that was one of the funnest, most memorable vacations I've been on in my life. The second time it's about the journey is this journey that I've been telling you about to mature Christianity. Now you've got to admit, my journey, at least thus far, has been anything but conventional. But it's my journey. Now, I know you have two questions for me and I greatly appreciate them. The first question you have is, how do I know when I'm getting the call? Well, you're getting the call now. If you're here today, you are getting the call. I spoke to the Lord before I came up here and he said, tell them they're getting the call. And you wouldn't dare argue with a man up at the pulpit now, would you? The second question you have is, what's my next step? Well, I can't say with 100% assurity, but I can make some suggestions, and I bet at least one of them will work for you. If you come to church twice a month, make it three times. Put five extra dollars in the collection basket. Get up in the morning, read a page out of the Bible. Read a chapter out of the Bible. Join a prayer group, join a Bible study, volunteer. If you want to volunteer and don't know where to plug yourself in, call Jessica. I guarantee she'll find a place for you. If you want to feel real good about yourself, find someone that has a need. Someone that in no way, shape, or form can ever repay you for what you do for them. Do what you can to fill the need for that person and then go out and tell absolutely no one. That'll make you feel good. Yeah, all those years when I kept on thinking, it's about the destination, I kept on having to say, but I was wrong. When it finally got through to me that it's about the journey and all I can do is take the next step, when that finally got through, 
then I can finally say, but I was right.